I did have a number of issues that went up to President Obama. And I'll just tell you, first of all, it's like, to me, it's always, and I still remember them. It was surreal when you had a you know meeting like that, where we'd be with the president. And one of the most unbelievable things about it, from my personal view, was how prepared he was for every issue, given the scale of what he was managing and the depth of what we were covering. It, it was absolutely unbelievable. Well, I'm really excited to uh, chat with you today. Uh, really uh, interesting. You know, a lot of SaaS people in the privacy space come from a tech background. And I think, you know, you have a really interesting perspective because you're uh, innovating the, the privacy, specifically privacy compliance uh, industry from a SaaS perspective. But really interestingly, I mean, you served on the Obama administration. You were the uh, Secretary of Economic Affairs, got really involved in some of these legislations that are governing how companies use data. So it's just like a really inter interesting intersection that you're at kind of between both the tech side and the legislation side. I'd love to just dive more uh, into that, Justin. Yeah, Brian, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a phenomenally interesting and really fast developing area, privacy uh, and data protection. Um, you're right that I was very lucky to have served uh, under President Obama um, leading. I led the uh, Economic and Statistics Administration. So it's a, it's one of our major economic bureaus. Uh, but I was also lucky enough to lead a lot of the negotiations around the world on data privacy issues like GDPR and how data is transferred. So um yeah, that background gave me a lot of insight about what's going on around the world on privacy and data protection. Um, and that's what really led to founding the company. Um, and um, it's been terrific, really. That's awesome. I know like in the tech space, you hear, I'm sure you hear this all the time, uh, being in the, the place that you're at, but uh, like there's this concept that legislators don't understand what they're legislating like they don't understand the real issues they don't understand how these companies operate or you know how the data works and they're creating regulations for for good reason like there's an important uh you know underlying reason to have these these guardrails so that you know companies don't do things that you know would be questionable or or unethical but uh you know the the legislation sometimes itself can create problems and uh so what like how what are your thoughts on on that yeah, I I uh, I hear this a lot, and I'd say there's certain things that um, not only legislators, like ninety percent of the people that we work with, don't really have an understanding of. And you know, ad tech, for example, modern ad tech technology, and how the real time bidding works, and how you see an ad. You know, most of the people, Brian, that we work with say that it takes one to two years in the space to really understand how real-time advertising works. But what people do realize and what they do, I think, 
legislators and everybody agrees with is that they're really uncomfortable with the idea that they don't know where their data is going. They People don't understand what data is shared with whom and for what purpose. They don't understand once it's shared with somebody else or some other party, how they can get it back, how they can prevent its use. And I think that that big picture discomfort is really what I see driving a lot of the legislation around the country on privacy. You know, I'll get, if I may, I'll give you a, a, a like a basic example. When you look at what California is doing right now, Brian, they're really leading across the country on thinking about advertising and marketing technology. And one of the first things that they did is they focused on this issue that when you and I land on a website, whether you agree to it or not, data about you or your device is shared directly from many consumer-facing websites with third-party advertising platforms, you know, major social media networks. And you have virtually no control over that. And if you decided you didn't want that to happen, you can't stop it. Both of those things bother a lot of people. You know, why should my IP address and the fact that I visited, visited a shoe company website, why should that be shared with a social media network so that I get an ad about that shoe company when I didn't even know that that was going to happen? And if I decided I didn't want that to happen, there's no way to stop it. So they're starting with some very basic things that I think people are uncomfortable about. And I think that's how progress is really going to happen here. Absolutely. Yeah. And have you seen like uh, the Brave browser uh, or, you know, obviously I'm sure, you know, DuckDuckGo and some of these uh, sort of new tech platforms that are coming up around the privacy issue. Your, your, your platform, uh, let's dive into that next, Wirewheel. Your, your platform is for the enterprises to implement these privacy compliance solutions at scale so that it embeds right into, and I'm kind of uh, paraphrasing your marketing and uh, maybe you can get more into the details of it, but you know, the, your, your platform implements at the application level of these enterprises to essentially, uh, you know, meet the compliance and regulatory standards of all of these different, you know, these CCPAs and GDPRs and all these frameworks that are coming up quite rapidly uh, that quite frankly, companies don't really know a hundred percent what to do with. Yeah, I, I, yeah. First of all, you've pointed out some things that are happening just in browsers. So right now, um, one technology that I'd recommend every company just start looking at is the global privacy control. This is a new protocol that California is requiring and soon will be required under other state laws like Colorado, Brian. And it's supported in browsers like Brave and DuckDuckGo and Firefox natively. And what it allows you to do is go into your browser, you set a setting that says, I wanna opt out on certain sharing of my data for advertising purposes. And California is saying, if you're a consumer website and you are sharing data for ad tech purposes, you have to be able to detect that opt out, even if somebody doesn't click a button, and you have to obey it, which means you don't share data out. 
So one of the things we're seeing that California, Colorado, uh, and others are driving is trying to make it really easy on a consumer to set an opt-out on data sharing once and have every website recognize it without you having to do it over and over again. Interesting. So I have a quick question on that, Justin, if sure. we uh, could double click on something there. Uh, so data, so is that data sharing or does that apply with like any capture of data? If like, if, if some, if somebody selects that, that global, uh, what, what did you call it? Global. It's privacy? called the global privacy control. Yep. Exactly. Global privacy control. So if a, if a user selects that in their session, does that mean that the company cannot capture any data about the user? Uh, that's a great question. So I'll talk about what happens now today, Brian, and then what's coming later. Okay. Today, only really California, and you've seen it at the bottom of some websites, they have that little thing that says, do not sell or share my data. You've seen that thing? Yep. They have one required choice that's in effect right now, and it's do not sell or share my data. And California has, has been quite clear uh, especially through some enforcement actions they've brought recently. There's a case against Sephora, if, if uh, folks look it up, that if a company's sharing data with ad platforms for the purposes of surfacing an ad, measuring the performance of an ad, uh, analytics, or even things like frequency capping, okay? So you're surfacing it to a social media platform or you're sharing data with an analytics platform and the benefits actually to the advertiser because you're improving your ads. California says that's a sale of data, okay? And if somebody comes to your website, they have that global privacy control clicked, then you have to stop selling data, which means you have to stop that pixel from sharing data with the ad platforms, okay? So if I were to then boil that all down right now, for most companies, this means if they have the global privacy control on, you need to stop that automated sharing of data with the ad platforms, as an example, okay? But in the next six months, there are at least um, nine to 19 different new choices coming under state law. Uh, some in California, some in Colorado, Connecticut, Utah, and Virginia. And different states have different choices that are much more like what you just said. So, for example, in some states, before you can collect and process fine-grained location data, somebody actually has to know about it and give you permission to do it at all. So, <clears throat> if I were to simplify it for marketers around the country right now, if you, are, if you have the Facebook pixel, the Google pixel, the Instagram pixel, you need to put something up pretty much right now that allows somebody to opt out of it. And you have to have a way that it blocks the pixel and you have to way that it takes that opt out using the global privacy control. Interesting. Interesting. So here, here's another question I have about that. You know, every server captures access logs or, you know, various server logs. A user hits a single page that's going to trigger... I don't know, 50 to 100 HTTP requests to load the page, you know, images, CSS, JavaScript, all that stuff, you know, various Ajax calls. Uh, so that, um, so that all that data stores IP address of the, you know, the, the client. So the browser, you know, the user's IP address requesting the data, does that fall under that? Is that like 
is that PII in that case or? Well, that again, that's a great question. And the answer is probably not. Not because it's not, you know, something that the customer should, you know, treat without care, but there's two concepts here. Okay. And maybe I'll, I'll boil it down for a marketing or website team. When somebody comes to a website, Brian, they know that their data is going to be used to give them a website bunch of content. Nobody's, nobody, everybody knows that, right? You're showing up the web page. You actually want to get certain content and the content's going to be based a little bit on where you are. That's appropriate. I know it. You know it. That's not an issue. Okay. The parts that are getting to be an issue is not necessarily the server exchanges going back and forth. It's other technologies that are actually tracking usage on the page that are much, much bigger issue. For example, there are certain technologies that actually are doing behavioral analytics when you land on a web page. So it's tracking everything you click on. You might have seen these. These are often used on web apps. They're sometimes on a web page, and they're tracking exactly what you click and what you were interested in. And all of that is not being used in the way that you think it might be. It might be being used because they want to improve the customer experience on their side, or they're trying to tailor better content. And um, the interesting thing about this one, Brian, is companies are currently being sued for using these behavioral analytics tools without telling somebody that they're doing it and without giving them a chance to turn it off under wiretap laws. Isn't wow. that interesting? Okay. So some plaintiff's law firms have started suing um, different consumer websites for using technologies that basically track your every, every click because they're saying, hey, under state wiretap laws, even some federal wiretap laws, you can't record everything somebody does without telling them that you're doing it and getting permission to do it and allowing them to turn it off. So um, this is, I think, going to be another movement, which is it's one thing to share data with an ad platform for purposes of surfacing an ad. I think that's one whole thing. I think it's going to be another thing if you're doing behavioral analytics on the visitors and not giving them a chance to turn it off or telling them that it's happening. But in terms of the normal surfacing of an ad or a normal surfacing of content, that's usually less of an issue just because most people know that's what's actually happening. That's really interesting. Uh, there's a lot of SaaS companies out there that are built around that sort of analytics, you know, personalization data, there's, you know, session analytics, you know, there's tools that capture like playbacks of sessions to, you know, help marketers improve the user experience, like you said. Uh, so that's quite, uh, that's quite disruptive, I think, to a lot of businesses. A lot of SaaS well, yeah, and, and if you just do a few searches on those session recordings, just search for it and look for lawsuits, you're seeing these plaintiff lawsuits pop up. And mm -hmm. I'd say we're at the early stage on these. I'm not trying to say, hey, it's always a problem, but there are just enough judges that are saying, hey, this may be okay. And the way this the legal side works, Brian, is once a couple of judges say, hey, you can bring a lawsuit under those under those laws, they start popping up all over the place. So yeah, I'd precedent. say this is early, but one area to pay a bit of attention to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the last round of that that I saw was ADA compliance. 
uh, for websites. So websites yeah. that don't have, you know, screen readers, you know, that, that aren't optimized for screen readers, there's been a ton of lawsuits, there was a precedent set around what should be required under the, you know, Americans for Disabilities Act, Yep. Uh, yep. specifically for accessing, you know, public spaces, websites or public spaces. And uh, so there's been a lot of lawsuits. I've seen I've seen that big in in you know trending in the news, uh, and and also you know spoken to some companies that have been you know targeted and and had a a lawsuit uh, against them. So that's uh, it. Kind of sounds like the next wave of of that potentially. You know, kind of coming after analytics and and data data platforms. Yeah, I'd say if I were to say three key areas, okay, three key areas. First of all. As I said, if you're using any kind of pixel, you know, third-party data sharing and you're a consumer-facing brand, I would really recommend you put, and, and this is what our product does. You put it right up on the website. It has a client-side data layer. It has the global privacy control. You can get it up very, very quickly, and then you have a way for consumers to control it. Okay, that's a key thing, but that's under California law. There are two other there are two other areas that I'd say. One is healthcare. Any healthcare or healthcare provider, pharma, medical device. There are two recent things, Brian, that have brought focus to this. Um, you remember there was a Supreme Court decision, but obviously huge news, and it overruled Roe versus Wade. And this has brought really strict scrutiny all around the country on how healthcare data and advertising data from a health provider, and I mean pharma, I mean you know insurers and others, that if that data is going from a website to a third party service and you don't know it, you could put people who are trying to get different healthcare uh, treatments at risk, okay, in some ways. So the FTC brought an enforcement action just last week against GoodRx. It's uh, in the pharma space. And they, they made clear that the FTC is looking very carefully at data sharing from companies that have any healthcare data. And if you're in the healthcare, insurance, medical device, pharma space, that's really an area I would look at how you're sharing data from your websites and from your mobile apps and make sure you have clear controls and notices in place for anybody that visit the, those sites. So mm. I'd say it's consumer data sharing with third parties, healthcare medical device under the GoodRx enforcement action. And there was a recent uh, HHS um, bulletin on this as well. And then finally, any kind of behavioral analytics or session recording for, um, you know, under some of those wiretap laws. Interesting. Yeah, the uh, the GoodRx model has a lot of uh, data baked into their business model, so that certainly makes sense. They might be the first, uh, you know, kind of looked at for for these new regulations. Uh, so moving on, tell me, uh, we've been really talking about websites and kind of like the marketing piece of data privacy. Uh, what just of what Wirewheel does? What percentage of that is? this kind of like marketing website bucket and then what percentage is everything else and what is the everything else? Yeah, we have three solutions for companies. The first is a universal consent and preference platform with easy consumer experiences that you can put up on websites, mobile apps, um, connected TV and others so that a company can manage consumer choices and control of their data 
no matter where they're marketing. We focused on it this way because over the last 10, 12, 15 years, almost a lot of brands have moved to much more an omni-channel strategy where you set up different websites or microsites or different ways to engage with customers. And if you just look at it very simply, uh, if you don't get a global uh, understanding of how consumers are making choices, then you end up putting that data all over the place and you can't figure out what you can do with anybody's data. So we built something that makes it very easy for consumer brands to bring it across brands and channels and to get this experience up on your websites, your microsites and others very quickly. We're working with agencies and others, advertising agencies to make sure we can help solve that problem. Um, the second- That's kind of uh, what you're saying there is kind of two things. One, it gives you a centralized place that your data is stored, right? So that gives you your, your central point of truth. But then it also, when you have to deal with these privacy things, when a user asks to take my data out of your system, you don't have to go unwind like the 10 or 12 systems that it could be. It's like centralized, right? Is that is that a correct assessment? That's exactly right. And why did we do this? Because marketers over the last 20 years, they buy different tools for different channels. If you are doing email marketing, you may have an email marketing tool. If you have a website, you have a website marketing tool. Loyalty programs, companies often build their own database, right? So what happens is they collect consumer choices in email, like those email opt-outs, they'll collect it in the email tool. They'll collect the website opt-outs in an opt-out tool. They'll collect the loyalty program choices in the loyalty tool, and nobody can see them. So centralizing it, making it accessible means you can market better, market more ethically. That's one key element. And the second is we had to build this for marketers. You have to build it so they can launch a microsite and embed it on the microsite in minutes. And that's part of our universal consent and preference solution. We also have partnerships and integrations with virtually every company in the marketing stack. So we integrate with Google Tag Manager, Telium Segment for front-end management. And we have integrations with everything from Adobe, HubSpot, Salesforce, Marketo, Eloqua, Dynamics, so that you can uh, use this information much more quickly. So this has been a huge area for us of investment. We're excited what we've built, but that's one of our three products. Uh, we have an enterprise grade data subject access uh, uh, tool. It's called our trust and access center, um, Brian. And this, you know how when you go to get um, your credit report, you can go to the credit agencies and they have to give it, give you your credit report. You get a chance to correct it and update it and provide that information. That That sort of model that applies to the credit agencies is spreading across the country in every one of these state laws. And it's, called, it's put under the category of data subject access automation. And you say, why the heck is it called that? And it's because, believe it or not, in Europe, a person is, is called a data subject, okay? They call them data <laughs> subjects. And in the US, they call them consumers. That's the shorthand, okay? So, it sounds like, uh, you know, if aliens were coming to Earth and they're, you know, trying to come up with a, a name for it, it's like the data subject. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So in the privacy world, when they're talking about a system that enables a company to allow you to make a request for your data, validate who you are, collect the data, make it human readable, get it back to you in encrypted form, that's what our product does. 
that's a DSAR product, data subject access system. And so we have a system, it's enterprise grade, you can use it, you can brand it, and we're proud of that offering too. And then we really started in the privacy operations management space. This is another thing that's coming up across the country. Think of this as a complement to a security operations center, and it's focused on helping companies understand for each of their major data systems that have personal data, you, you can sort of figure out what it is, how you're using it, and are you doing the right thing with that customer data? So that was our first offering, and that's called our privacy operations manager. Cool. Uh, so it's a really uh, interesting suite of products, and they're all obviously similar, but very different use cases across each of those. Uh, where's the most action, you know, as far as like where your resources are allocated, where the revenue is coming from, which products are your biggest and your smallest? Yeah, I'd say uh, by far the biggest growth area for us right now is our universal preference and consent uh, center. That's the and website the, uh, integration. That's the tool. website. And if, I, if I'll just tell you, virtually every website in the United States that's marketing to consumers has to change uh, if you're doing normal social media marketing or third-party data sharing, it has to change in the next six, nine months. The scale of it is huge. Uh, companies are just waking up to it. You know, a lot, of, a lot of times we go in and the marketing teams will say, really? And we'll say, yeah, I mean, really, you can wait, but uh, the states are issuing hundreds of these enforcement notices. The FTC is enforcing this aggressively. And it's all based on a very simple principle. If you land on some brand's website and that website is sharing data with third parties, you should know it and you should be able to stop it if that data sharing is for purposes essentially of serving an ad to you. That's what it's based on. And most websites are just not meant and they're not built to give you that choice to sort of capture that. Interesting. Yeah. So we we talked in our last call, uh, kind of in like the green room session, uh, we talked about, uh, you know, I, I have an agency and we do a lot of web development and you've mentioned, you know, kind of doing a demo at some point for our team. So I think this podcast episode, I'm just going to share it out to everyone in the team and have them check it out as like a first, first touch point, because I think it's uh, certainly compelling to me. I can see how we can get ahead of this as an agency and advise our clients and, you know, kind of get ahead of what changes are coming down down the path and, uh, you know, be rather than waiting for, you know, something to happen and be reactive, be proactive for companies. And I think a lot of marketing teams and, and agencies out there could probably do the same. Yeah. And, you know, if you want to see this in action, and I'm happy to show this here or another time, if you go to our Wirewheel website, um, it it and I don't mean it for this to be an ad, but just so that people can get a visual on it. Instead of those old cookie pop-ups that interrupt the consumer experience, the states are looking for a little thing that's a your privacy choices center. When you click on it, you can go back and change your mind at any point. It needs to have a nice, clean UI that has the global privacy control built into it. And it should be the kind of thing that any consumer can find and decide what data shared. And as I said, right now, Brian, this is kind of a simple set of choices, but by next year, you're going to be able to control all kinds of things. Uh, Colorado, for example, has a required choice that 
you be able to decide whether you want a company to create a profile on you. And just think about that, right? Most people, when you land on their website, there's a progressive profile that's automatically created based on your device ID that then gets enhanced and re-identified. Well, Colorado's saying you get to make a choice for that not to happen. So these are the kinds of things that are coming that I think people are going to wake up to pretty quickly well, here over the next six months. Yeah, I mean, think about how many businesses like HubSpot, for instance, completely, you know, a lot of their products completely disrupted by that, uh, you know, that that change there. Yeah, I think, you know, it does. For, for me, I think a lot of this is we try not to be, you know, fear, dr driving this by fear. We try to make sure people understand there's a real concern for human beings around the world when they don't have control over what data was collected about them, who it was shared with, and if they can't make any decisions about it. That's, that's really what we see driving everything. There's two basic principles that in my view are driving most of the human being discomfort on this, as you were saying, Brian. The first is you go somewhere and you don't even know what was collected about your device. You have no idea where it was shared. You don't know for what purpose. And if you wanted it not to happen, there's no way for you to do that. That's a really uncomfortable place for everybody I know, okay? That's just on websites. And then the second thing we see is really driving discomfort across the board is let's say you actually create an account in an app or you create an account on a web app or you log in and then data about you is used in ways that you don't really think are fair. You know what I mean? You show up to a website, you log into the product, they're recording everything you do, and let's say they use it to develop a new product that you had nothing to do with. That's where people seem to get really uncomfortable, you know, mm. about the yeah, use. Like of a lot of people, data. direct example of that on GitHub, uh, GitHub launches GitHub Copilot, which is a uh, chat, it's a GPT-3 powered uh, code completion uh, tool. It like integrates right into your integrated development environment. So if you use like, you know, uh, V Studio, Visual Studio, or you use, you know, uh, PHP Storm or whatever, it just integrates right in, you write comments, it kind of auto completes your code, like in Gmail, when you're typing a sentence, and it just suggests the rest of the sentence for you, it does that with your code. But the way they trained the model was that they just like consumed all the code open source on GitHub, which was from other developers. So basically, you know, a bunch of developers were upset that like, all right, all this code that I put on GitHub to help the world and help GitHub and the GitHub community is now being consumed to, uh, you know, to make my job less, you know, to basically make it easy, you know, make my job less important. Like now it's being automated. Most of the developers I've talked to and the people on my team, they see it as a really great tool and they love using it. It's, you know, it can make a developer two or three times more productive and they don't see it as a threat, but I have heard both sides of the argument, especially in like Twitter space, you know, on, on Twitter and various discussion, uh, you know, forums, I've seen kind of the counter of that as to how it could be considered like what you're saying, you know, the, the user's data essentially was used. Uh, now they open sourced it. They put it on an open source license, I suppose, but it was kind of used in a way that maybe they didn't intend it would be used. Yeah, that that, that is spot on. And I think I think that's a great example. And you know what the funny thing is? If you actually, let's say GitHub or another company, if they were really open about this and they explained it, 
at the first time they did the collection that it may be used this way. And they found a way to tell you in a way that you really got what they were doing. And they told you, if you do this, you might get the benefit out of it. People would probably agree. I mean, people they, would they agree. didn't know back then. I mean, GitHub's been around yeah, yeah. for over a decade. No, and, but that's exactly uh, the point. So, you know, the thing that makes people uncomfortable about things like this is even the company didn't know how it was going to use this data, right? There's another, there's another example that comes up in the privacy world quite a bit that's very similar to that. I'm not going to get it quite right because I haven't looked at this in a while and I won't name the company. But they had a product, a very well-known company. They had a product where you uploaded or recorded your voice and it was for one particular purpose. Let's say you would ask it a question and it would answer it or it might help you, you know, do something else. And it turned out all of those recordings were then used to make voice models for translation products for another product. <laughs> that just seems, it feels uncomfortable. If it was one thing, if everybody knew that's what they would do, but even the company didn't know that they were going to use the data that way. So I think, I think your, your example is a perfect one. And I think it just comes down to the bottom line. If you're using data in a way that a person would not have really anticipated at the time they gave you their data, the company ought to think twice about doing that. That's not a great yeah. trust trust way. It's it's interesting the way data is used uh, and the way like these companies use data helps and en enriches our lives in some ways. And then it also can be questionable in other ways. Like I saw someone did this on Reddit. Uh, they basically, you know, Google Maps data, you can get traffic on real-time traffic updates on Google Maps and it'll reroute your your route based on traffic patterns. But I saw someone tricked Google Maps. Basically, they took like 200 phones and put them in a wheelbarrow and just uh, like walked slowly down the street. There's not a single car on the street, but Google Maps reporting it as like 20 minute delays and the street's all red and gridlocked. And it's just 20 phones in a wheelbarrow being like pushed, you know, half a mile an hour down the street. <laughs> But who like who like you don't think about that your phone's just constantly sending traffic data to Google like every second, updating it on the speed it's moving and its GPS positioning. Like all that data needs to be going to Google for Google to be able to give that that uh, experience back to the user in terms of real time traffic patterns. Yeah, no, I I mean listen, I mean there's some really interesting productive ways that companies are trying to build communities and gathering your information as a first party, and they can build trust and you can get value. Like for example, if you go to a lot of banking websites right now, they're giving away free advice on things people actually care about. Like what's the best way to buy a home? What are the best ways to save for your education? These are things that you might've paid for historically, okay? And in exchange for that, they're asking for you to log in and for them to gain information about you. and some people will knowingly make that choice. I mean, you could buy a service or you could use and join this community and you know that you're giving them certain information. I, for example, when I'm engaging, sort of working or going to a website that's effectively a retail media network right now, Brian, I honestly go there. I know that if I search for something and I know that if I see similar items, I know they're gonna use my data to market to me and for other purposes. But I actually want to know what people who like this book, what other books they may like, right? I'm making that choice knowingly. 
Um, I think the, I think the out of home advertising stuff, if you've seen that, is really interesting. I mean, these are companies that are, you know, for example, surfacing ads on out of house billboards, but they're combining advertising with your location data and your device so that you might see more ads for certain things if it relates to an ad you saw on a billboard. Um, these are, you know, these are important concepts for people to understand. I think these are going to be the trends. And our goal is to make that that marketing as as transparent and ethical and understandable for the consumers so that they can make choices that we we help the companies gather and then we help the companies obey them the best way we can. And that's how we're thinking about it. There's there's always in like sci-fi and Black Mirror and all these kind of like dystopian future uh you know sort of uh, uh movies or tv shows or whatever books uh content there's this concept of like the future is so you know the data is just so like it's so prevalent in governments and corporations and just you know how the world works you know there's i've seen examples where someone's like walking in a future dystopian world and the advertisements in a public space are updating based on facial recognition to that individual you know, data subject or, or person uh, in real time, kind of like giving them personalized information uh, that's likely to convert them. Uh, do you think there's a future like that ever? Or is that just... Uh, I, I think that future is here. I don't, I don't know that we're not doing that. I mean, it doesn't... We are to, to, a, to a watered down extent of the example I just gave. But yeah, it's... Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, do you remember Total Recall, the Schwarzenegger version from like the night, I think it was like 80s or 90s. I remember that. Like he was walking around town and different ads would come up. And I hope I'm remembering that right. But... Um, it's been a it while since like I've my, seen that one. <laughs> yeah, Minority Report. I remember like the Tom Cruise movie. Exactly. That, yeah, that, like that was one I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 but I don't think it's occurring exactly the way that it happened in those movies, but I think it's happening already. And I think as we get to that kind of granularity, when people, I think you're going to start seeing personalized ads all over the place because it's possible to do. It really is. It's possible to do. I but we need these frameworks to kind of make it legit and not unethical. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, listen, just like you, we've all been looking at ChatGPT and generative AI very quickly. I don't think it takes a great leap to realize that very soon you're going to go to websites and you're going to get generative AI experiences based on very minimal information that you're presenting right when you land on the website. And what your interactions are. So I, I think I think it's not going to be not only going to be what we saw in those movies that brands and the ads are coming. I think you're going to get personalized generative content based on things that are known about you. So yeah, I, th I think that a lot of that's coming. I think there is an obligation, in my view, for brands to try to make it easier. And I think one of the things that one of the things that I think is a, a similar frustration for people is let's say right now you think of your favorite brand, Brian, and let's say you decide for whatever reason, you don't want to see ads from them anymore. Now, here's the question. Where do you go to make sure that you record that? Is it that brand's website? Is it the social media network? Is it the retail media network? Is it on your device? Is it on every device and your your computer is it in your car 
it's sort of like on a consumer right now to track down where the heck you tell somebody that you don't want the ads anymore. And that's probably not going to be defensible for very much longer. I don't think you can put it on the consumer or the data subject that they have to figure out where to go. So anyway, these are the things that we're, we're really- Yeah, it makes, makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, I'm curious. Uh, I'm sure this is a totally loaded question and not an easy answer, but do these same requirements apply to government agencies as they do to corporate entities? Yeah, I, I, uh, are you saying like B two B versus B two C? Is that what you're? No, like you know, so yeah, these consumer, uh, these these consumer, you know, requirements for like say Google's and Amazon's and any tech company for that matter that has to meet these growing regulations, like the one you talked about in Colorado, where companies cannot can no longer create a profile on individuals without that consent being done. Uh, does that apply to governments as well, or is this uh, primarily to uh, companies? Right now, it's primarily, well, let me, let me be specific. So GDPR, which is a European law, will applies to all manner of entities and often to governments, okay? But it's a, it's a regional, you know, European regulation, which means that the countries and others have basically agreed that this should apply. Excuse me. In the United States, as you know, there's no national privacy law. So what's happening right now is there are state by state laws that are saying, this is what's covered and this is what you have to do. Mo most of the things I've covered with you here today are coming out of state you know, state laws. And the state laws, you, know, you remember your, your, your history or government classes from years ago, states can't bind the federal government. So as a general matter, none of those laws apply to the federal government. And most of the states are accepting out of the law their own state governments or, um, you know, even nonprofits are often exempted. So I'd say the coverage is a little bit state by state and regional in the United States or, or sort of topical, whereas in other parts of the world, you know, governments are covered, too. It has to be a federal thing at some point. Like you can't just have this fragmented state by state thing just keep growing into a, a Frankenstein of legislation. It has to be federally mandated. And I think for people to trust it, it has to be upheld by the government themselves, right? Like it has to be somewhat, you know, equal to, uh, you know, for companies and governments to have to follow these regulations. Do you agree with that? Or is that? I, I, uh, I've written for years now about the need. I did a, an op-ed in, in Newsweek years ago about the need for a, a, a privacy law in the United States. I think it has to happen. I think it will happen eventually. Um, it's hard to get this one. It's hard because there's so many people with so many different interests on yeah. this particular one. Um, I do think when it happens, the federal government side of it and the state government side of it are going to be critical. Like you can't have un sort of governed collection by the federal government and have a real privacy law. Um, I don't mean to suggest that's happening now. Like even even now, there's a lot of restrictions on government access to data here in the United States. Um, but um, I think it'll happen eventually. Cool. I have to ask you. Uh, otherwise, the listeners will be upset with me. Uh, what it was like working with Obama? Um, did you work directly with him? And just kind of what was that whole thing like for you? Yeah, well, first, so I was at uh, I was at the U.S. Commerce Department. So I was I was lucky enough to work with Secretary uh, Penny Pritzker, and um, 
being part of that admin the Obama administration was one of the, I mean, it was a huge honor. I was a, a, a I was incredibly lucky to get to serve under President Obama and Secretary Pritzker. Um, I did have um, a number of issues that went up to President Obama. And um, I'll just tell you, first of all, it's like, to me, it's always, and I still remember them, it was surreal when you had a you know meeting like that where it would be with the president. And one of the most unbelievable things about it, from my personal view, was how prepared he was for every issue, given the scale of what he was managing and the depth of what we were covering. It, it was absolutely unbelievable. So I felt lucky that we had somebody in the seat then that was so thoughtful about the issues. I've, I've heard the same things about President Biden in terms of just a really thoughtful, you know, prepared, like doing everything you can to do the right thing approach. And um, yeah, it was, it was incredibly lucky. I don't know another way to put it. That's awesome. Yeah, I've never had the uh, the honor of meeting him, but uh, he was an unbelievably charismatic and just like the way he spoke, it was he was just so believable, so relatable. And, you know, like you said, just so prepared, so articulate with his words. And uh, that always struck me, uh, just kind of hearing him speak about any issue. But uh, that's awesome. Uh, this was this has been a, a great uh, episode. I, I'm, I'm excited for this to go up, Dustin. Anything else? Uh, you no, no, listen, it's been great being on. Uh, I really enjoyed it as well. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I, you know, I'm excited to see where things go on both sides of this. And uh, as I said, thank you very much for having me on. Likewise. All right. Have a good weekend. You too. Thanks again.